Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby podcast um this week we are without dave sadly uh, i think he might be on a little golfing tour in saudi arabia with uh one mark dodson um but that's yet to be confirmed um so it's just matt and alan here this week alan how you doing yeah good i mean I, you, do you know what dave probably doesn't look too dissimilar from a young mark dodson as well so maybe it's sort of like illegitimate son father trip I could definitely see Dave like eventually heading the SRU and being like a real hate figure because yeah. <laughs> he'd be like really hard nosed and d- would just speak his mind, would just completely disregard the the council. Yeah, just f- continuously funneling cash into Watsonians. Yeah, exactly. Better than Stad Niswa, I suppose. Um, uh, for the people who don't know. Uh, you can follow us on lots of social media channels, uh, Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, Instagram at Thistle underscore Rugby underscore Pod. And uh, we've got our weekly newsletter, which was uh, absent this week, but that's on Substack Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Um, there's been a lot to unpack over the last week in Scottish Rugby. Um, you've had the Scotland Summer Tour Squad named yesterday. You had both pro teams in quarterfinal action at the weekend. And, and obviously... Danny Wilson uh, getting the chop at Glasgow. Why, why don't we start with with Danny Wilson, Alan? What what were your views? Were you, were you surprised at, at how quickly it, it happened, or um, you know, does, does it kind of make sense given the the form that Glasgow have been on, culminating in that thrashing at the weekend? I, I wasn't surprised that it that happened off the back of the season, but I was maybe a little bit surprised at the speed of which it happened post. Um, the match against Leinster on on Saturday, I, I would have thought that it was one of these things that you'd almost let kind of the dust settle a little bit. You know, 
I'm sort of doing air quotes, do some sort of kind of like internal review of the season, you know, go through some sort of process and then be like, oh, through this, we've decided that we're going to let Danny Wilson go, et cetera, et cetera. But it was quite surprising that literally within what must have been three days, 72 hours, yeah. um, Danny Wilson had been given the job and obviously not 100% clear how much exactly was, you know, Danny Wilson sort of falling on the sword himself and how much it was sort of Dodson sort of swinging the sword. But I think, not surprised it happened, but thought it would maybe be done sort of during the summertime. Do you think there was an element of the Glasgow performance in that Leinster game in particular that suggested he had just completely lost the dressing room or that just something is not right in Glasgow at the moment? Because I even think in some of the, the games that they've fallen off in this season, towards the end of this season, I still think kind of the the effort and application has been there, whereas it didn't seem to be the case on on Saturday at all. I think think you're right. I think especially when you look back to some of the games early in the season, I even thinking back to some of the La Rochelle games where they lost in in Europe. And and obviously that, you know, that was, even though they lost, they showed a level of kind of work rate and endeavour, which you sort of would suggest as a team that sort of they're playing together, playing for the coach, coaching staff. But, you know, that was one of the real big things about the game against Leinster. I appreciate there was a couple of yellow cards, but it really felt that Leinster could probably break the line at will. Yeah. And and even on top of that, you know, let's for a moment say, right, that the line's been broken, that's fine. But then even then the scramble defence from Glasgow, on a lot of occasions, relatively non-existent. You see people sort of breaking the line and, and there'd be sort of five or six lenses kind of um, support runners versus kind of literally just like one or two Glasgow players tracking back. And I think it really did feel, especially sort of going to that second half, that the Glasgow players had completely sort of shut off from the match. And, and to your point, I, I wonder how much, you know, ultimately, I don't think you should need this to be motivated to... to to perform, but ultimately, I imagine part of that potentially was that the players just weren't willing to play for for Danny or didn't believe in the game that they were trying to play in that match. Yeah, and I think that Wilson and a couple of the players made the point that they conceded what was it, forty points in those two yellow cards, um, as a sort of not an excuse, but some sort of mitigation. But then you looked at both of those yellow cards, and they were almost. So symptomatic of Glasgow's recent struggles, just brain dead decisions um, that suggest there's maybe something a bit more deep seated rather than them, you know, being unlucky. I think that discipline has plagued them this this season. Um, I was just going to say, I guess I was thinking through what I guess what the defence for Danny Wilson would be. Yeah, and I, I guess ultimately, you know, and I think one point you pointed to is it feels like, and again. Glasgow haven't been given the level of resource in terms of signings that potentially Edinburgh have been given in terms of kind of bringing that new blood in. I know we sort of mentioned sort of you've got Edinburgh getting someone like Buffelli and who is just a genuinely sort of world-class player. And Glasgow maybe haven't had those sort of signings coming into the club. Yeah, I do have some sympathy with that. But then I look at the fact that the, the resource has kind of been there. I think it's just been allocated poorly. So in recent seasons, I think I think Richie Gray has has toiled manfully for Glasgow, but he's not the player he used to be, and 
I think as a as a leader in that squad, besides sort of a good work rate and, and a lot of tackles, which I completely respect, I, I, I think he's been quite quite an expensive guy to have around. Um, signed Nakarawa, which was pretty disastrous overall. Um, given the money to buy Hugh Jones, sign Hugh Jones, given the money to sign Josh Mackay, who I don't think would have come cheap. Yeah. Dempsey as well, maybe. No, I think that's yeah, fair. I, 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 I get it. I, I do get that. Um, but I was going to, I was going to ask sort of like, you know, the mitigating circumstances that Wilson has come in at a pretty horrific time. Um, and I think even a bet, even a really a good coach who's getting the best out of his players, it, it's clear that the likes of Wilson, Harley, etc., are coming to the end of their careers. Um, he's starting to get his own way with signings, making his own mark on the squad. Like, was it too early? No, absolutely. And I think you know, John Barkley uh, tweeted it earlier in the week. You know, you look back to sort of April time, and and ultimately. Glasgow were third in the league with that with that squad that you know Danny had Danny Wilson's um, had available to him, and ultimately were sort of seventeen points ahead of Leon, who went on to win the Challenge Cup in the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup. The sort of you know ultimately it feels like, you know you look back even sort of less than two months ago, and actually you could create quite a sort of rosy picture of of what the the season has been for Glasgow, and I think. I appreciate they've had this sort of run of away matches, which seems to really just sort of sucked the life out of both kind of the team and also just the general fan base in terms of their um, their views on on Danny Wilson. And who do you think are the sort of forerunners to take over him? Because we haven't really sort of seen. There's been a lot of speculation, but on Twitter, but not really based on anything concrete. But who who do you think is would be a candidate? And do you think that? You know, it's it's cash strap time to the SOU. They're more likely to do a bit of a shuffling of the decks, or do you think they'll go all out for a, you know, for for the best person for the job? Sort of say they're cash strap, but ultimately, when they're sort of signing people like Wes Goosen and even someone like Sam Skinner, feels like they've at least got some capital to deploy, and it feels like at Glasgow that squad really needs. It needs a top-level coach to kind of bring that all back together. And I wonder, given the fact that there isn't really anyone within the Scotland ranks who can easily just sort of shift over. I don't know. You, I know we've chatted about Pete Horn basically had a year at Ayrshire. I know Pete Murch has had a little bit longer, but again, feels like he's still more in that sort of assistant coach role. I guess a couple of people within Scotland set up, but still no one that's really been there for too long or sort of naturally feels like someone who's going to step up to that sort of top, top role at Glasgow. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think there is a, an obvious choice amongst internal candidates, but it's quite close to world cup. Like I, I just wonder if they'll go for a bit of a, a stopgap appointment. Um, yeah. Which I think is just going to clearly, you know, Al, Al Kellett was talking about this and sort of the, the announcement that Danny Wilson was going that the sort of sentiment amongst Glasgow fans is pretty low at the moment. And the fact that they obviously put up their ticket, so season ticket prices at just a pretty bad time overall. That if they do sort of, you know, no disrespect to these guys, but if they brought in a John DL 
uh, a Murchie, etc. So I think maybe John DL might be a candidate. I don't think it's going to inspire that many Glasgow fans. I don't think that Glasgow fans are going to rush out to to pay the extra for their season tickets. No. And I guess the couple that have been mentioned, so obviously Lancaster, external ones have been mentioned. You've got Lancaster has been thrown around. Which I, I, I have enjoyed the sort of Lancaster renaissance, but at the same time, I'm just not quite sure if he's the right person for, for Glasgow, especially given the sort of type of players that Glasgow have at the moment anyway. I think there's a lot of wishful thinking around any coach involved in the Irish setup could come over, which, you know, if they could get someone like Paul O'Connell, for instance, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be mad about it, but I, I don't know if Glasgow is that appealing a place to be in at the moment. Well, thinking about Ireland, you've obviously got Dan McFarlane's not not going to come, but I guess Roddy Grant, as well as his assistant, is someone who's you know done a lot of time with Edinburgh, has gone out to uh, you know another country and sort of learned kind of additional sort of ways of working, etc. Obviously, still sort of under sort of Dan McFarlane. Do you think he's someone that they might try and sort of bring back? He sort of understands kind of the SOU machinery. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. Um... Once again, sort of slightly unproven as a head coach, but a Scottish guy doing well with Ulster. I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't at least sound him out. Um, yeah. And I, I think he would be keen to come back to, to Scotland. So I, I suppose as soon as you get in that, um, that SRU tent, like the path to becoming maybe a Scotland coach, it, it's fairly, not straightforward, but it's, it's quite a clear pathway. 100%. The only other one I was thinking was maybe like someone like a Tony Brown, obviously. Yeah, that would be I, quite good. I pre- appreciate, you know, I think actually retrospectively when you look back at sort of Dave Rennie, you know, ultimately semi-final, um, a final just missed out at home. I, I think you've got to classify it as a bit of a success. I pre- he sort of came at the back end of sort of yeah. Tony and probably came with almost like too good P- too his PR was almost too good when he came everyone yeah. was like this guy is like the genius of rugby <laughs> um, but I wonder whether again you know if they do have the money whether you could almost pick up again sort of a relatively strong Kiwi coach and I always think whether this is true or not I always think when someone from a coach from New Zealand comes over there's just automatically like a level of like respect that comes from especially like players and media just because they are from New Zealand yeah, definitely. I wonder if there's just like a sort of 10, 15% immediate uplift to performances as well. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Keep an eye on that. Um, it'd be interesting to see who they, they appoint because it's, it's not clear. Um, there's no sort of assistant coaches or anything there that would be obvious successors. Um, keep Keeping on the... So yeah, we've not really talked about the Leinster game too much, but I don't think there's actually that much to discuss. It was a pretty humiliating day overall. Worst worst match in recent memory of any sort of Scot- Scottish team, including national? I'm just trying to think, like, when we shipped 60 to England at Twickenham. Yeah, that was, that was tough. Like, when Glasgow shipped 50 to Exeter. Yeah. But then it was like, Glasgow had a lot of injuries and 
kind of saw it coming. But yeah, this is definitely up there. I think, and we sort of touched on a little bit with with Danny Wilson, is I feel like almost like if they lost by like 40, 50 points and just from a sort of tactic standpoint of being completely sort of blown off the park and a lot of what Glasgow were trying to do just hadn't worked out, I, I would almost have less sympathy. I would definitely have less sympathy for sort of Danny Wilson, but it's the fact that they got so obliterated and they were just so dominated in almost all facets of the match, especially after being... Basically, 7-0 up as well. I really do think that there is a lot of question marks around that sort of playing group and and whether there is the right mix of sort of senior and junior and sort of international and and more sort of regular club players there to sort of take that team forward. It really just felt like it's just a complete capitulation and just a complete dearth of leadership across the whole team. Yeah, and and within that you had three lions you had including a test line um you've got multiple internationals i appreciate that some of them aren't you know first picks of scotland or aren't in the national setup anymore but yeah you'd like to think there's like a basic level of standards in defense and professionalism and that kind of thing um and yeah i I think that i don't know those guys don't become sort of bad players or don't put or, or not giving as much effort overnight. So I wonder if there's just something with the co- coaching, something cultural there that's just not been working under Danny Wilson and his, his coaches. Um, yeah. But then moving on to Edinburgh, um, he obviously went down to the Stormers in the other quarterfinal. Um, you know, probably beaten by the better side on the day, but fronted up physically and if a few moments had gone their way, then they could have potentially snuck it. Yeah, I, I think to your point, I, I did feel like the Stormers were just that touch better. And even when Edinburgh had that sort of mini resurgence and kind of like with about sort of 15 minutes to go, it still just felt like the Stormers were just a little bit out of reach. I mean, they, it's just with these South African teams, there's just ultimately just this level of physicality that it's just really hard for basically for any of the Scottish teams to sort of deal with. You could see, you know, a lot of those, even people like, you know, Watson and, and Gilchrist, who, when you sort of go into contact, there just isn't any of those easy yards within sort of the inside centre, any of those channels. And it's just a constant, just kind of like these massive South African men just sort of throwing themselves at you. And I think that is something that, you know, we've talked about at a national level that Scotland struggle with. And I still think it's something that Edinburgh and Glasgow continue to sort of struggle with when a team just is able to sort of have that sort of minor sort of physical domination on them. Yeah, I think as well, it's been a long season for a lot of those guys. And like the last thing they want to have is look up and see like this relentless, physical, fit South African pack who are just not going to let up at all. Um, and I, I probably underestimated, obviously Storms have been going well recently, but I probably underestimated how good a side they, they are. And they've got some nice players in the backs like Warren Gallant. Um, it was another big test for Kinghorn. Um, 
you know, how do you think he did overall? Obviously, he sort of was at fault for that opening try for the Stormers. Um, but do you think we can now sort of make a call as to whether he should, we should stick with him as a standoff? Yeah, it's such a tough one. I think it's so difficult as like a Scottish rugby fan because I think you sort of almost too often look at it through the prism of like the Scottish team rather than like what's actually best for Edinburgh and Glasgow. I think across this sort of, I think actually across the whole season, I would say Kinghorn has done significantly better than I actually thought he would. And I think probably most people thought he would do at 10. Yeah. I, I think when he can get the front foot ball, he is an unbelievably dangerous um, kind of attacking threat. I, I still just don't quite think he has demonstrated in those big, big matches, in those big pressure moments in matches, that he is a 10 that can sort of step up to that international level. And so may, and maybe that, you know, ultimately, you know, that's not a terrible thing, right? Like ultimately it feels like for his first year as a 10, as a pro, that's a pretty successful outcome, right? Well, that, that would be my argument that like he has definitely surpassed expectations. Um, but I think he's in a sense, he's almost just proved what he's always been good at, which is the running game. He's got good skills. He's creative. He can kick the ball. He's got good distance on his peg. But the sort of the question marks around his game management um, and sort of tactical kicking in general, which are the questions that we had at the start of the season, I, they probably got better, but I still think they're pretty unanswered. Um, and I, we'll come on to it, but I, I, I do find that the fact that Hastings is now back in the Scotland squad I just kind of think, what, what is the point of this experiment overall? Um, I mean, maybe this season's shown that Ross Thompson, despite a pretty good start to things at Glasgow, isn't quite ready. But if you're looking for a player that can cover both 10 and 15 and other positions as your sub, then they already had Adam Hastings. So it's it's still a bit of a strange one for me. Yeah, no, I, I I get it. It'd be really interesting to see who starts between him and Hastings for the for the first match in in Argentina. I, but to to your sort of earlier point, I, I do think you know there has been a progression, and I guess it's whether he is able to continue progressing next year. Um, and and if he does, then you know hopefully he's sort of getting to that that stage where he 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 is getting good enough to to play for, for Scotland and, and, and able to sort of dominate those those big sort of club matches. You know, obviously he's gonna have Champions Cup next year, which is yeah. a pretty good one. Is um as well. So no Do you think um you know that was maybe barring Velicott who's injured, that was Edinburgh's best team, right? Pretty much. And although they made a few signings for next year, like Houston, who I think will be an improvement. Is it, is it a slight worry that Edinburgh are able to put out their very best team and and sort of not trouble the, in, the opposition in those bigger games? I'm thinking Ulster, Wasps, and now the Stormers. I mean, I think it's we need to remember it's all relative. And at the start of the year, we were pretty had probably pretty low expectations. But you know, is that is that a slight worry? Yeah, it, you know, it's an interesting one. I think. Um... Potentially, there was a, f- a few injuries that meant the bench 
wasn't as strong as it would have been. So like people like Boneventer and Rambo, etc., weren't weren't there. And I think potentially if he'd been fully fit, you would you would have had a Lang in there. Um, you put on the forward pack. I I still think there is a lot to be enthused about for for next season. Just because I I do think you've got quite a lot of depth depth at prop in the front row. I think I think Skinner does bring just a bit more sort of heft to to that row, and I think you, you still see people like Sykes and Hodgson and even Glenn Young developing. And then when you look at that back row, Bradbury is leaving, but I, I do think Ben Moncaster is like the real deal. And then obviously Richie to come back next season. I I do think with there is a, a chance for that sort of pack to sort of move forward. And if they can start to get parity or even start to kind of slightly dominate teams in those bigger matches, then hopefully that gives the platform to Velicott and Kingholm, which you expect to be the starting 9-10 going into next season. I think a lot, a lot to play with. So I'm not as worried. I think there's enough of people to come back and enough school for sort of progression with other people for Federer to be in a pretty good place next year. Yeah, I agree. It is, someone was sort of um, asking the question on Twitter today that like ultimately at the end of the season, Glasgow and Edinburgh have had exactly the same experience pretty much. Um, both knocked out in the quarterfinals of the URC and the Challenge Cup. But you've got Warriors fans who are like pretty bereft of hope and Edinburgh fans who, you know, new stadium, like there's a really good vibe around Edinburgh and, and Mike Blair at the moment. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's like the fact that Wales won the Six Nations like 17 months ago and, and basically every Welsh fan is in complete meltdown about the future of like Welsh rugby and all hate Pivac, you know, so it's ultimately, <laughs> you can only compare to what you've had, you've had previously. And I think Edinburgh just kind of coming out of those cockerel sort of lean years at, at the end, especially sort of that sort of final sort of 12 months. I think ultimately you've got a sort of benchmark this year on, on where they've come from. And I think you can only say that both in terms of results, performance, Edinburgh, have gone forward and, and Glasgow have sort of started to go sl- slightly backwards. Yeah. But I do appreciate the point. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right though. Um should we, should we move on to the to the summer tour squad? Um so Tanzan's announced a 40 man squad um for the summer tour in Chile and Argentina. Um I'm not gonna bore you with the full list. You can see our Twitter for that for that. Um but what were your first impressions, Alan? Did you maybe expect more of a Tradition, uh, sort of experimental approach versus how much experience, I suppose, Townsend's gone for with his squad. I think, I think I probably did, but actually retrospectively, I think that I think that was probably a little bit of a stupid assumption because I think ultimately what you've sort of seen in that team is he's not taking anyone that he doesn't believe isn't it had doesn't have a chance of being part of that World Cup squad. You know, ultimately, I feel like everyone in that group, they've probably identified as being someone who's either ready right now to be in a World Cup squad or has the scope over the next 12 months to be um, to be part of the World Cup squad. So I know you look at people like Connor Boyle, um, 
or even someone like Jamie Dolby, for example, I wonder whether, you know, whilst obviously they're really good players, given the sort of depth in those respective positions and the other people around, I wonder whether they just made a call that actually it's not worth giving them kind of taking up a place when ultimately right now you're, you're almost kind of in this kind of like T minus, you know, 16 months until the World Cup and it's all about kind of continuing to grow sort of cohesion and, and getting players sort of playing together. And, and what did you make of the sort of high profile missions, namely Hogan and Russell not touring? Do you think there's much to read into? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That, or do you think it's just a sensible approach to sort of player um, game time management? I did see Tune mention that they've they're all sort of pick they've all got sort of niggly injuries. I know obviously t- Russell was in has been in a bit of a in something anyway. Um Hogg's got kind of like the odd niggle and then I think Harris had a, a bit of an issue before um before their final match against against Saracen. So I just wonder if, you know, ultimately the the kind of slightly older guys super important. So you've kind of got a mix of wanting to rest them, but then also potentially taking three of those probably most senior, most influential members and, and potentially giving a chance to some of those slightly younger guys to kind of step up on the tour and, and take on more of a leadership role. I, th- I think as well with particularly standoff and fullback, like the the options behind those first choices aren't maybe quite there. So yeah, I think the chance to give... Yeah, I, I don't know who they'll play from Kinghorn and Hastings, but you know, I think you said before that like if they're serious about Kinghorn, he has to play as many minutes as possible. Um, and then maybe someone like Ollie Smith is the you know long-term successor to Hogg, and also he's the guy that we we look to if Hogg is injured. Whereas I don't think there's maybe an obvious choice at the moment. I think Kinghorn was the obvious choice, but um that's changed a lot. Um yeah, no, it's, it's it's a good shout on sort of on the fullback piece. It feels like if they've kind of they, they maybe don't see Kinghorn as a sort of natural replacement, and now that Maitland's kind of out of the squad, there isn't yeah. n- none of the wingers. I know Darcy Graham's done a little bit, but none of the wingers quite as easily sort of shift into that fifteen position. So someone like Holly Smith, you'd think, is there to get a bit of a bit of a run out in case obviously Hogg goes down at any point over the next um, 18 months? I think probably the, the biggest letdown of the squad announcement was there was no like left field unheard of 
cap. Um, but we are hearing that. Now, um, what was the guy's name again? Um, Aiden Ross. Aiden Ross. Is he played the Crusaders? Chiefs. Chiefs. There we go. <laughs> um, Prop was sounded out, who Scott's qualified, but it sounds as if he's going to be named by the All Blacks um, in the in the next squad. But but maybe looking at some of the younger guys that have come in, like your Moncaster you mentioned, Murphy Walker, Glenn Young, Matt Curry, um, Ollie Smith, you know, maybe even Carl Rowan there. Like which, which which of those selections has sort of got you got you most excited to see them in action over the summer? I think out of all the, the Moncaster one is for me the most most exciting just because I think his ceiling is still so, so much higher. He's so young, but he just looks like an absolute natural at, at club level. That I think he he could be a pretty he could be the long-term solution for um, for Scotland at, at number eight in sort of more of that kind of like Sam Simmons-esque kind of yeah. mould. Um, so I, I'd like to see what he, I really hope he does get at least one one start against um, what will probably be like a pretty physical Argentina pack, right? Um, Matt Curry, I still don't quite get. I don't know, you're, you, you're always a slightly better centre than me. But... Yeah, just slightly. Um, yeah, I, I think he... Uh, I mean, the fact he was playing for Watsonians in the Super 6 last week, um, and maybe this week actually as well, you know, he's, he's not broken through to that full Edinburgh. You know, he's not a regular, um, but I suppose he's got, you know, Bennett, Dean, Hutchison to, com- to compete with. It's a pretty crowded field. I, I get the sense that he is seen as like a a really kind of heads up good rugby brain type of player um and Townsend yeah. also spoke about it and I think like the, the moments he's had for Edinburgh you can see that he's a pretty classy player with a good offloading game um and I think Townsend also mentioned today that he's very good at defending the 13 channel which as we know is pretty difficult so I suppose if you've got all those sort of the raw talents that are maybe harder to teach and then you layer on like a bit more physicality, a bit more um, speed, like you've got quite a, a, a nice um, sort of mold to work with. Um, yeah. Thoughts on, on Kyle Rowe? I know we, we did hear a rumour that potentially Kyle Rowe might, might be coming back up to Edinburgh, but I know I saw nothing's really sort of come out of that over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think London Irish did an announcement of all the players that were leaving and he wasn't mentioned. Yeah, um, and I suppose with Hugh Jones going back to Glasgow now, like they've got quite a lot of players in the back three. Um, but no, I, I think it's a really exciting selection. Um, I, th- I I put up a tweet the other day so- showing that Kyle Rowe, who I imagine is on a fraction of Duhan's wage at London Irish, has scored eight tries for London Irish this season in the Premiership, and he is. I think he's third highest number of defenders beaten, um, both of which are ahead of Duham, which is pretty incredible, really, considering he was picked up as a sort of seven squad reject. And he's, he's just looked really impressive whenever he's played for Irish, like beating senior premiership players with ease. Um, and I think he's got a good all-round game. Like he's, he's, I think he's got a good rugby understanding, 
He's good under the high ball. He's got a decent boot on him. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would. I think he'd maybe be pushing for a start in one of those Argentina games, actually. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously with Darcy and Duhan there, you sort of imagine that they'll maybe start the first the first test, and then you start yeah. sort of playing around a little bit. I mean, I know sort of Jamie Lyle did that did that sort of piece. Um, this week about just ultimately with only those two teams in Scotland, you just don't, there's just that lack of opportunity for players to be able to kind of demonstrate their qualities um, at club level. Because I mean, sort of, I can't remember Carl Rowe, obviously Carl Rowe was like a good premiership player, but I can't remember him being this like incredible standout. Hmm. But ultimately, we sort of talked about it so many times before, there is just players that can just shift up to the next level and ultimately can operate in yeah in, in that sort of environment like Chris Harris is another one that ultimately just took a bit of time but once he was given his chance was able to adapt and had the game and the sort of skill set to be able to compete at a at, in, at kind of the t- ultimate for the Lions right um so no it's good to good to see good to see him kind of getting into that squad and as the same as you I'm quite keen to keen to see him play there's also a few sort of more familiar names back in the squad, um, most notably Rory Hutchinson and and Hugh Jones. Um, you know, do, do you think there's any chance of them breaking through to a sort of Six Nations or World Cup starting squad, um, or do you think this is just more rewarding for them trying out some options? And you know, Tanzan is not really going to move away from that more defensively solid midfield yeah well, it's an interesting one with with Hutchison because you know ultimately by picking Redpath Tooney's shown that he's, he's willing to pick someone who is more there for their attacking capabilities than their defensive capabilities or even to be more specific kind of the more like distri- distributing capabilities and you know so I think there clearly is space for Hutchison in our Scotland backline um, and I think ultimately his form has been has been pretty pretty spectacular, especially sort of the back end of the season. So I'd like to think, given the given the fact it's just him and Sam Johnson is probably the only two recognised twelves or people who can sort of normally sort of play twelve. You think he he would get a bit of game from? I mean, I'd I'd like to see in the starting match. I would say him and Bennett as the starting centre combo. Yeah, that's what I was. I sort of had written down in my starting fifteen. Um, yeah, I just think it would be nice to to give to. I think there's sort of question marks around or perceived question marks around his defence, for instance. Um, but ultimately, he hasn't really been tested at that like Six Nations level. I think he's played a couple of games against the Italians, but I think it's definitely worth chucking him in. And he, he very much seems like a Townsend type of player, and the kind of player that Finn would like to have outside him. I would I would imagine. Hundred percent, and and it does feel for both country and club that Sam Johnson isn't just quite hitting the level needed. Yeah, in that twelve role, he's solid, but not really done much beyond that. And I think ultimately, when you when you have the ability to well, obviously use Duhan's power, but even Darcy coming off the wing does give you sort of options to to do kind of like a hit up if you yeah. if that's what you want to do. Um. And Harris so, as well, if you if you stick with him at thirteen, exactly. Which I think ultimately they, they are yeah. going to do no, no matter what. Um, which you know, for someone like Bennett, 
where you kind of feel like 13, you know, he's not even got the luxury of someone like Hugh Jones, who is trying to sort of, who ha- has had the ability to kind of play a couple of different positions. It, it does increasingly feel like Bennett is only going to ever play 13 for both club and country. Yeah. So you've kind of got this this issue where he's he's kind of stuck behind Harris, even though he's potentially been Edinburgh's best player this season. Well, he won player of the year at their awards this week. So, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Anyone you think is unfortunate to miss out? Um, the obvious name is, is our very own Sweet Prince, who we talked about. I think he was worthy of having a shot, but wasn't to be. Um, I think Val, think- we mentioned, is injured. Uh, no Finn Smith, but sounds like he's being courted quite, quite closely. It did sound like Velicott was potentially a bit of a almost a injury. He's got like a couple of niggles, um, sort of thing. Um, I, I do wonder if Christine was like a couple of years younger, he might have got on. Just going back to that point, I wonder whether if you were picking a squad to beat Argentina rather than maybe picking a squad that allows you to beat Argentina whilst also kind of growing the squad as you sort of go towards the World Cup whether he would have gone in ahead of someone like a, a Curry. Um, but yeah. I do wonder whether to that point they maybe just don't see him as being part of that World Cup squad in, in 12, 18 months' time. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think there is, although the centre positions are slightly up for grabs, I think there are probably quite a few um, cabs ahead of him in the rank. Um, do, do we want to do a kind of like... Uh, starting 15 for that first Argentina test? Yeah. Um, I did write this down today when I was not doing any work, which is quite fun. Um, so my my front row was Schumann, Ashman, and then I'm struggling on tight head because I, th- I think Xander Fagerson needs a rest, but then... I think your other options are Murphy Walker or Sebastian. And I'm not sure about either, really. I, I think ultimately, like, tight head's a position that we clearly don't have a lot of depth in. And we need to try out these players. So I'm sort of heading towards maybe Sebastian as a, as a more experienced player. I think you've got to start with Xander Ferguson in at least two of the matches. Do you know? Probably. I just think that I really do think he needs if I I if they had like one more player at tight head, I think he should have been left at home. He out of all the lines that were taken, he feels the most surprising given just how much he has played over the last yeah. sort of eighteen months. And the fact he ultimately plays in a position, you know, not that Ali Price and Duhan don't see a lot of um you know, contact, but ultimately versus yeah, someone like Xander, it's it's a it's a different kettle of a fish. Kettle of fish. <laughs> um, and so no, it's but I at the same time, you know, to your point, ultimately they're going there with two props, which you normally wouldn't probably see in in a full Scotland squad. So I I just think you probably inevitably going to have to have him starting at least two of the matches, and then maybe you give Murphy Walker and Javin Sebastian sort of time off the bench in, in the first yeah. two and then potentially chuck whoever sort of makes biggest impact the, the third match at the end. I kind of thought, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I kind of thought there was an argument as well for maybe playing 
Ashman, just because I think we know everything we need to know about Turner now. And I, I don't think that playing Ashman means that we've we've moved away from Turner. But I think that going to the next World Cup, there's, there's is probably quite a good case for selecting Ashman ahead of Brown in particular. So, and so I guess it, this goes back to how do you utilise those three matches? Because I probably would put out what I see is almost like the full strength team on the first match and then start to kind of like adapt it and bring people in from there. So maybe you start with Turner and then again, either look yeah. to bring in someone like Ashman in like the second or second or third match. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, mo- moving to the second rows, it was, it was kind of a difficult one in terms of, I think that these Gilchrist obviously captains, you'd expect him to start. Um, and then Cummings has had a lot of injuries, but I feel like he could do with the run of games. Whereas once again, I, I think that Johnny Gray potentially could benefit from a rest. Agreed. I, I think ultimately when you look at sort of Gilchrist, Cummings, um, Gray, and then even, even Skinner, probably just ultimately look to sort of rotate them across the yeah. sort of three matches yeah have Glenn Young there on the bench when needed and obviously probably play Glenn Young plus Cummings probably in the in the Chile match. Or or Hodgson, yeah. Or Hod Hod oh yeah Hodgson's in the squad as well. Yeah, oh Hodgson. shit. So you got six. Yeah. Um but so, I, yeah. I, I get you. Um yeah I, I don't think there's sort of two you almost be happy with any of those guys in, in some capacity as you say the rotation. Um the, the back row I went for I went for the Darge Watson combination, um, and then I stuck Magnus Brabri at eight, just because I think that Fagerson's been injured recently, and I still feel that there's like there's the potential that Brabri could be our starting number eight at the next World Cup, and getting him some game time is a sensible idea. I. So agree on agree on Watson and Darge, although just point we've made sort of throughout this. I, I don't think you play Watson in the sort of three three matches. Yeah. Um trying to give him sort of a bit of rest, but obviously have him as part of the squad. I do you not think before he got injured, Matt Ferguson was playing well enough to deserve the, the starting spot? I, I think he was, but he hasn't played since the Six Nations pretty much, has he? No. So I just I just wonder slightly if you I don't know you go with the match fit guy and then bring in Fagerson later on. But yeah, I think you could. I'd be happy with both. I think. Yeah. No. Agreed. And it'd be good to give Crosby a bit more of a run out. Obviously. Yeah, I'd like to. He's sort of in my chili team, but I think that yeah, him and Moncaster sort of fighting for that bench spot. And I think actually probably Crosby's probably ahead of him in that in those stakes. Um because he's been really impressive since he's come back from injury. Yeah. Um, and and Skinner once again is just one of those guys that you'd happily see him slotting in even at six. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um what would you go for in the halfbacks? Uh, I mean if you're going out there to win the match, I think you I mean, if if I was tuning out to go to win the match, I'd probably go Price, 
uh, uh, I don't know. Hastings or King Horn, one of the two. Again, ultimately, I guess you just sort of decide based on what you see as kind of the the best choice given what you're trying to achieve from a sort of World Cup standpoint. Standpoint. I feels like you probably end up you starting Thompson against Chile, and then give one of them two starts and the other one one start maybe. Yeah, I think so. Again, with pr- prices, I was a little bit surprised that George Horn maybe got on the the tour. Obviously, Ben White kind of been looked looked quite good, sort of coming off the bench during the Six Nations. Obviously, good to see yeah. him playing a little bit. I wonder if Velikot was sort of fully fit, whether he would have taken that that third third spot. But um, I, th- I think yeah, so. I think it's I, I can understand the Horn selection in that he's coming back from injury. And you know that if he gets back to full fitness and is like playing in a good Glasgow team and that and in a style that suits him, like he's a really good option to have. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've kind of, if I was, if I was town, if I'm in Townsend's shoes, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes for Kinghorn just because he seems to have set a stall out. Um, yeah. And then I think, yeah, price, if you want to win the game, but I think Price is in desperate need of rest as well. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be that mad with White coming in, um, or that surprised. Um, I think he's proved himself a pretty handy player, as you say. Scott Steele's sort of gone off the radar these days. Um, it feels. Yeah, doesn't really seem to be in the conversation. It's a bit of a shame. Um, and Hidalgo Klein is playing for. Benison? You into Benison? Oh yeah, I don't know. Since he I think since he like announced he was moving, he's not had a sniff of game time at Exeter. Yeah. Yeah. Such such like a quick peak and then just completely <laughs> fell off the top of the mountain. I mean, that's, his, that's his career, right? It's like making yeah. a big splash at a club and then hmm. um what what in the centers I've sort of there's quite a lot of nice options. Um but I've gone for that combination we discussed of Hutchinson and, and Bennett. Yeah, I, I guess, again, it'd be, okay, it'd be interesting to see what they do against Chile, but I, I like that combination. I think Bennett has earned a starting place in that centre, especially with Harris at the squad. So I, I, I do think it's potentially who partners him. And just given the form that Hutchinson's in and the fact that Johnson's a little bit stalled, and I say Tupelo's was kind of got his form sort of dropped after what was a pretty strong sort of opening few months, right? Yeah. Um, I would like to see. I maybe don't think Tooney will do that though. I could see like Johnson Bennett starting centre. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I I sort of toyed with the idea of having Hugh Jones at thirteen, but I just I can't. I can't see him getting picked ahead of Harris again. So, do you, do you think Hugh Jones is there as a 13 slash 15? Yeah, 100%. And I think that if I was him, I'd probably be like, well, what, where do I have a better chance of breaking through? And maybe it's at 15 rather than 13, actually. Maybe, oh God. I mean, they're ultimately sort of the two worst positions almost in the. In this, at least in the next sort of twelve months, you'd say. 
How do you mean worst? In terms of if you're trying to break into yeah, yeah, yeah. Hardest. the yeah, Scotland yeah, yeah. team. I yeah. think maybe post-World Cup, you've then got, I, I don't know whether how much longevity Stuart Hogg has sort of post the, the next cycle. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, I just don't see a scenario in which Chris Harris doesn't start for Scotland at 13 going into the next World Cup. And, and I even then don't really see a scenario in which Stuart Hogg doesn't start at 15. That, that's the thing particularly if I, I think Tanzan was saying in his interviews yesterday, like we want him to be captain again when he returns. So, um, you know, whether that actually bears out, I don't know, but yeah, yeah I, I agree. They're pretty set positions. Um, who do you have in your back three? So again, if, you know, if the game was to win Darcy Duhan, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we obviously we were chatting a lot about Ollie Smith earlier, but maybe you start Hugh Jones fullback. Yeah, I quite like that. Uh, I think. And then definitely giving Kyle Rowe some game time. Yeah. And then maybe see a Rufus McLean, Rufus McLean and Hoyland do against Chile. Yeah, I think um, Townsend once again talks about the fact that probably Hoyland and McLean could probably play fullback, I suppose. Um, but I think he was particularly talking about Hoyland. And Hoyland's been really good this season. So, uh, But then I wonder if they will try out the sort of Hastings or Kinghorn at fullback again. Yeah. I mean, I really don't think that Hastings has ever really done too bad a job at fullback for Scotland. Considering he's, like that's him being played out of position, and he often has to do it when there's been like random injuries throughout the squad. Yeah. I think he's done pretty well. No, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, and I, I think that ultimately that's still a pretty good squad that they can put out. It's it's hard to tell with Argentina how good they'll be just because on paper I think their squad's pretty good. But you could have said that in recent seasons and we've always like, we seem to have a really good record against them recently. I, I'm slightly worried that that record is is set to turn a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, just sort of thinking back to the last time they toured and and that sort of 9-10 of Horn and Hastings literally tore Argentina apart. Yeah. Um, we do, it has always felt, you know, basically over the last 10 years, we, we've just had the slight sort of upper hand on Argentina. Um, but yeah, it's it's maybe, it feels like maybe over a, a month tour, especially with Chile up first, and then sort of rolling into that three-game tour, it's going to be a difficult one to, especially come out with no losses. But to even sort of win that three-match tour feels it's going to be quite difficult. Well, I've had some um, feelers for Salta and Juji. I've never heard of Juji um, tour packages. So I, I did have a look at return. I did have a look at return flights, and it was like basically like one and a half grand. So, so then you, so then you book them. So I've booked all three of us business class, <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. forty-hour trip every weekend into Argentina. Well, if um, Dave's negotiations with Mark Dodson have gone well, then you know that'll be pennies. There you go. Nice one. Um, it, turn up next week, and it's like thistle presented by Aramco. <laughs> I'd listen to the offer, you know. <laughs> right on that, on that note um thanks everyone for for listening um we'll be back soon ish i think maybe just to um 
might do an end of season report and and also to preview the the summer tour and um, keep you updated with everything that's going on Twitter, Instagram, newsletter, and Substack uh, to keep informed. Uh, but once again, yeah, thanks for listening. Chile matches is two weeks on Saturday, two and a half weeks time. Oh, God, it's an absolute like grind this season. It's absolutely <laughs> poor guys. Like, cool. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.